it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, 
explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Shri and Peter. Hello, folks, and welcome again to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm, of course, Shri, the West Coast CPG Guy, and joining me, of course, is the East Coast CPG Guy, all the way from Connecticut, Mr. Peter, a.k.a. the man with the golden voice, Peter V.S. Bond. June, of course, is Pride Month, where we recognize and celebrate our LGBTQA plus community around the United States. Take a moment to research, learn, and be part of allyship. Of course, Peter and my baseball teams are still crushing it, by the way. 50 games in, the Yankees are so far ahead of the rest of the Rat Pack that I feel good. And uh, Peter and I, this past weekend, had a chance to go see the retirement of Gil Hodges' number at Dodger Stadium. I actually touched a Cy Young Award, and I was actually just kidding with the guests on this podcast uh, episode that I don't know what baseball is because I'm a diehard baseball nut. And of course, you all know that. Mr. Bond, how are you doing today? The VP of Partner Strategy and Fetcher Awards. How are you, sir? Uh, a little dragon tree because, you know, I took the red eye back to Hartford late Sunday night. It uh, doesn't matter how good a seat you have. It's really hard. To, I can't sleep on a plane, but it was totally worth it because I got to see Gil Hodges, who was... Um, to my family, which is fourth generation Brooklyn Dodger fans, he was an institution. I thought it was criminal that he didn't have his number retired. He wasn't in the Hall of Fame until now. Glad he finally made it. It was a very touching moment. Uh, I told you it was my allergies, but those tears were real, man. It was great. And I was glad to do it with you. I was, it was a bucket list thing, and I'm glad that you were there for it. The only thing I didn't like is that I, I'm being told by the world at large that you thought that Clinton Kershaw's Golden Glove didn't want me to touch it. I'm sorry, the Cy Young. I think that's true. You know what? A bucket list moment. Touch your Cy Young Award. People don't get that opportunity. I'm glad I was able to share that and do that with you. But thank you, Peter. And before we get to our guests, let me remind our audience that all of our content can be found easily by going to a browser, typing cpgguys.com. We have a brand new website with all sorts of rich content. Complete details about every podcast we put out, over 205 episodes, including a merch store and episodes organized with themes like retail media, loyalty, etc. I also encourage you to sign up there for our forthcoming newsletter, which will focus on a lot of these themes that I just mentioned. If you aren't already following us on LinkedIn, all you have to do is go to a browser, go to LinkedIn, and type CPG Guys in the search box. And when you get to our page, simply click the blue plus button, which is follow. That way you'll get to see all of the content we are producing. And the best thing about it, totally free. It's always been about the education. That's what we do over here. And the sharing journey and bringing knowledge, service providers, brands, retailers will continue. Remember to check out our sister podcast, the FMCG Guys, hosted by our friends Daniel and Efrain. They take the CPG Guys podcast format across the pond and speak to retail FMCG luminaries from a European perspective across the Atlantic Ocean. Just visit fmcguys.com. You know, Shri, uh, I think our friends are actually, as we record this, they're over at Shop Talk in Europe. That's right. Talking to all sorts of people. There's a big event going on there. So to Daniel O'Frain, hope you're knocking it out of the park there. Great opportunity to meet some industry luminaries. And having fun too in the process. We're, of course, proud to partner with Next Stop, also known as the Network of Executive Women, whose mission it is to advance all women in business and to promote the cause of gender equality and career development. 
Please visit nextstepisnow.org slash cpgguys to learn more about this great group in the middle of Wednesday episodes. You can find an Easter egg from us on their upcoming seminars and events. Hey, Peter, we must be important. We've got our own page on Next Up Is Now. Oh, we've got a landing page. That's like serious. I think what it means, Peter, is you and I are committed to the cause of gender equality, and that message will be consistent here on the CPG Guys. Yep. Today's episode features a company focused on how retailers and brands can transform the way they go to market. I'm going to start with 3D tech, and then we're going to evolve into so much more, including commerce. With a mission statement that says, we bring your idea to life by harnessing the power of 3D so brands and retailers can reduce time, costs, and the risk of developing innovative in-store experiences. I personally love it when somebody says in-store experience, because I'll tell you to the day, despite being one of the premier digital evangelists maybe out there in the industry, it's a lot of action happens in store and a lot of people are ignoring it. And so I'm, I'm waiting for this dialogue, especially since store traffic is coming back. We're pleased to partner with In Context Solutions on this episode. And now to decompose how 3D and tech can revolutionize your ability as a brand or a retailer to drive immersive experiences and commerce. Here are In Context Chief Technology Officer Lucas Blair and COO Melissa Jurgens. Please join Mr. Bond and me in welcoming them to the podcast. Melissa and Lucas, welcome to both of you. How are you folks today? Hey, Shri. Hey, Peter. Uh, so glad to be here. Thanks for hosting us on the CPG, guys. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us. I believe this is one of your first podcasts, so this is sure to be a lot of fun. So welcome. We're happy that you chose us to be one of the first to go to. Before we get to the questions, Peter, and I'm prepared for the conversation, Melissa, let me ask you to please take a few seconds here and let our audience know where on the web they can find you where they can find the company in context solutions and give us a brief introduction of what in context does. Absolutely. Well, um, you gave a really great introduction, but when someone asks me what we do, I simply tell them we create 3d digital twins of the retail store uh, to help them make better decisions about what goes in store and to ultimately reinvent the shopping experience. And so we work with brands and retailers alike. We work with research and category strategy and sales teams, all to help them make good decisions about what goes into the store. And anybody who's looking to learn more about in-context solutions can go to our website at www.incontextsolutions.com. Thank you so much, Melissa. Of course, Lucas, I want to ask you, but I'll, I'll hold my temptation. Do you think you could actually make me a digital twin clone of Peter? So I could just put it on this desk over here on the right-hand side? Absolutely. We'll talk details uh, after this, yeah. All right, man. We got that coming. We'll play ball. So thank you for that. We'll include links to your LinkedIn profile, Melissa, Lucas's, and the In Context Corporate site in the digital liner notes of this podcast for our audience. So let's get going. Let's play ball, as we say here on the CPG, guys. And I will kick it off with the first question. And actually, Melissa, this one is for you. Okay. Your career has quite a bit of experience in market research and competitive analysis at Mintel, where you spent 10 years. So Peter and I hold you close to our heart, having come from an IRI background ourselves. Then you join in Context Solutions as an account executive, and you've grown to be the CEO, the chief operating officer. Take us through that wonderful career journey from Mintel to in Context Solutions, from starting to being a CEO. And then what was your biggest motivation as you stayed within Context Solutions to become a um, CEO and why retail tech leadership? 
Well, thanks for the intro there. And um, certainly my career has always been in the consumer packaged goods and retail industry. I really learned to love it uh, when I started my career at Mintel, uh, learned to love kind of being on the inner circle of what brands and retailers were challenged by and then having the tools and resources to help them answer those questions and you know get over those hurdles. So I was having a ton of fun doing that at Mintel uh, when I had the opportunity to move over to In Context. And it was really kind of a no-brainer for me because In Context had a really cutting-edge technology, which was 3D simulations of a retail store, but they were using it specifically for research purposes and to help businesses make decisions about what they were going to execute in store. So it was um, an easy leap to say for me, but also really um, probably one of the best decisions I made because it exposed me to how I can use technology to really scale what we're doing. And so I've had a ton of fun in context since I've been there. Um, Spent the first few years of my career continuing to work with clients and to get their feedback, to apply back to our product, to continue to evolve our product. And once I I realized how much passion I had for our product, I took the opportunity to work as part of the team that launched ShopRMX. So ShopRMX is our software platform that I'll probably end up talking about quite a bit today, but um, it's really at the center of what we do in creating 3D and, and retail simulations. Um, after a couple of years of working on the product, I was asked to start a customer success team. So any good software company is going to have a customer success team that is dedicated to helping their clients adopt the software, to use the software, and then to get the feedback from those clients so it could be used to constantly improve and bring new features and use cases back to the clients. So I spent several years doing that. And from there, I was asked to step into the role of COO. Um, That brings with it a whole host of additional responsibilities, which have been great challenges and opportunities for me, obviously, to learn and to grow. But if I was to sum up really what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, it's about leading the company into the future and leaning into this technology platform that we have that's really powerful and has a lot of potential to help the retail and CPG industry. And if I was to kind of say what that starting place is, it's democratizing 3D. I want to make it easy and seamless and really scalable for any company to say, hey, I want to have 3D as part of my strategy because in the CPG and retail space, there are so many components that actually make up that physical store that there's really no better place or way to tell the story than by bringing it all together like that. And outside of doing it in the store, there's really no other options. And so our goal is just to make that as easy and seamless for our clients as possible. And that's what I'm focused on for taking us into the future. Lucas, what about you? Uh, Yeah, so I'm uh, a newcomer to the CPG space, actually. Uh, So I I come from... Why? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So after finishing a, a PhD in modeling and simulation... I started as a designer in the simulation industry, primarily uh, flight and ship simulators, right? And helping people with decision-making, all kinds of stuff. All in game engines, so it was all 3D work. It was cool. It was fun stuff. I transitioned uh, into game design, primarily educational and therapeutic games, and worked on hundreds of different kinds of games that were, you know, used for educational and therapeutic purposes, the occasional entertainment thing. 
And then I got involved in VR, AR, and MR um, at a research institute. Actually, I, I ran an immersive technologies lab there for years and worked on a lot of interesting projects. Primary, most of them were primarily training. Some of them were for just like conveying information to end users, that sort of stuff. Some of them were for people to use in their jobs. Other ones were just like, you know, people on their mobile phones experiencing something when they're out in the wild. So that's kind of how I learned uh, this tech stack. And then, yeah, now I'm at uh, In Context, learning lots of new terms and lots of new stuff from being new to CPG. But yeah. Thank you uh, both to Lucas and Melissa for giving us an overview of your background and welcome to the podcast. Excited to speak with you today. Melissa, I'm going to turn to you. I'd love for you to go through the history of In Context. I'm familiar with it to some degree because you've been a part of the industry I've been in for quite some time, and I, I know some former colleagues of mine who'd worked there. Uh, would you give us a little background for those who don't know much about In Context? Where did the company start? Uh, what prompted interest in this space? And what's been the evolution over time of your offerings? Absolutely. Sure. So um, in terms of the history, I'm actually employee number six at In Context. So you'll probably see a lot of parallels as I tell the story of the company to much of what I was doing in my career at that time, uh, just because I've been around for quite a bit. But the the whole kind of reason for being of in context and using 3D and VR as a tool in the retail space, it all kind of starts with the cost of change in store. So it's really expensive to make a mistake in the store. And we like to use 3D and VR as a safe place for visualizing and for testing what those ideas might be so that when they actually go to market, they get the return on investment that brands and retailers are really looking for. And so with that in mind, um, the company started really focused exclusively on the research. In fact, our co-founder, Rich Scamahorn, he um, was a long time in the industry, was actually at, at General Mills at the time running their VR lab. And he saw an opportunity to bring a lot of scale to VR testing because we weren't the first ones to do VR testing. We were just the first ones to do it online. At the time, it was being done in central locations. You needed you know, big monster computers to be able to create these simulations. And therefore, you had to bring shoppers all to one location to be able to look at it. Now, if you're doing research, that kind of limits you in terms of the number of people that you can talk to. It tends to be more costly. It takes a lot more time. Online surveys are pretty scalable. You can throw out a link and get hundreds or thousands of people to respond to you in a pretty short amount of time. And so that was the switch that Rich had wanted to make in terms of transitioning virtual from a central location to online testing. Therein lies um, the birth of In Context and what we focused our business on for the first several years. Then after we had been you know, working with our clients in these virtual simulations for the purposes of testing, we kept getting people asking us questions like, hey, can I get in there and move some things around? Or have you ever thought of making this a software so that I don't have to ask you to change my planogram or put in a new display or whatever difference it was that they wanted to see? And so we heard this feedback and used that to you know, guide us in, in launching this shopper platform that's ShopRMX. And so today, that is now a tool that is used by retailers and manufacturers to visualize changes in planograms or alternatives to planograms that do category walkthroughs. They might be looking at displays and different alternatives of those or seasonal changes, placing signage, and then we'll do more complex or comprehensive things like a category reinvention. 
And so those are our two main offerings and, and have been for a long time. And there's a third leg to this stool, which is virtual commerce. Uh, again, since I've probably been with the company, I've had people asking me questions. Hey, have you ever thought about people actually using this 3D experience for real shopping? And the answer is yes. And we've thought about it a lot. And what's exciting is that I think now is really the time to start exploring virtual commerce as a solution. The technology has advanced such that it is very feasible and really people and shoppers' mindsets have shifted a bit because first of the pandemic and a number of other trends going on like gaming Really, people are just relying much more on their digital experiences. And so it's really the right time to start to explore how 3D shopping can be applied, not just for visualization, not just for testing, but for actual commerce. And so we spent the last couple of years uh, doing some interesting R&D, getting feedback from shoppers and developing our point of view on what virtual commerce is going to look like. Exciting times for sure, right? So I want to jump right into virtual commerce. When I naively think of virtual commerce, I think of the metaverse and many things in and around the metaverse. But I think our audience would love to learn from you both. Give us a scoop on what this virtual commerce offering by in context is and what makes your solution uniquely positioned to be a leading provider of virtual commerce. So when I think about virtual commerce, at least where we are today, it's really about bringing 3D or immersive 3D experiences to a current 2D site. So when you think about how people shop today, for the most part, you go to a website, you search, you scroll, you click, you add some products to your basket. And that works well enough. But if you think about the number of products that are in your line of sight at any given time when you're online, 8, 10, 12 products is maybe what a shopper is able to look at. And you compare that to when you're in store where at any given time, you can see hundreds or even thousands of products within your line of sight. It's that merchandising and that layout of products that really directs the shopper behavior and the shopper path through the store. And it's that shopper path through the store that leads to discovery and impulse and really that creativity behind merchandising that builds the basket. And so what we're looking to do with 3D is to create a broader experience that lends itself to some of those benefits like discovery and impulse that can build the basket. Now, when I compare 3D to different in-store strategies, I like to call it a disruptor. So there's disruptors that you'll put into the store. You'll put a display. You'll create a store within a store. They'll use a promotion or some signs. All of those things are to gain the attention of the shopper and get them to try something that they might not have normally tried. 3D is the same way, except it's applied to your website. And it's a disruptor to get shoppers to get out of the search scroll, click and add to your basket into something that's going to open their eyes to a wider set of products. Now, I think that In Context is probably the best position company in the world to lead an initiative like this because we've been doing virtual store research for over a decade. So we've talked to millions of shoppers. We have tens of millions of data points, all of these things that can inform an offering and a strategy that's going to be successful for brands and retailers when they bring 3D to their online shopping experience. In terms of what makes us great and where our focus is at the moment, there are three words that we are rallying around, simple, uh, scalable, and seamless. 
So first of all, simple. It has to be very simple for the shopper. It has to be intuitive. It has to feel native to that current e-commerce shopping experience. Scalable. The market changes really quickly um, for CPG, especially product availability, prices, promotions, seasonal campaigns. Things are shifting on a pretty regular basis. And so the 3D experience has to be equally flexible for brands and retailers to be able to respond to that. And then the last piece is seamless. Um, We are not an e-commerce platform, so to speak. We're looking to integrate with existing e-commerce tech stacks to enhance what that experience is for shoppers. And so with that in mind, we're really, really excited because we're launching our first integration uh, with Microsoft, the Microsoft Commerce Cloud, which means that ShopRMX will be available for anyone that has their website on the Microsoft Commerce Cloud um, to access the ShopRMX app on their app source there. So then, Lucas, based upon what Melissa shared with us, would love to understand where this is going from data driving this capability, the ability to personalize experience for users, and then all of this great technology that has been invented for the gaming industry. Can that be applied to make these shoppers' experiences that much richer, would really like to understand because that's kind of your background. Yeah. I'd love to know where you're thinking about taking this. Yeah, so um, on the dynamic side, like as you mentioned, all this is very data-driven, right? And so we kind of think about it in um, two ways. One is into the environments being dynamic and then personalization, which I can talk about in a second. But um, the environments can be responsive. And by environments, I mean the 3D spaces that people are in or the, you know, 2D or 3D objects they're seeing floating around them, um, depending on what kind of technology they're using. So that can be things like product changes, uh, like retailer updates, brand updates, like logos can change in real time. Logos can be personalized depending on the person, right? Uh, Also things like stock availability. So having a bunch of systems that are integrated so that like if something is available or not available, maybe the system can say, hey, this isn't available or it's two weeks out from shipping. Maybe you would like this, this, and this. We'll be able to do lots of interesting things with that. and then. Uh, also, it could be dynamic because of other users in the environment. So these things can be multiplayer. You mentioned the gaming industry. There's lots of you know multiplayer games out there, and there could be other people in the environment interacting with items, interacting with objects, leaving messages. It could be a social experience. There's lots of interesting stuff we'll be able to do there. Um, on the personalization side, that has more to do with like the individual shopper's experience and them getting what they want out of the experience, right? Shopping how they want to shop. Um, so some folks are going to want to stay at home, drop into VR, and they're going to want to go to uh, walk around a 3D space, right? And maybe there'll be other people there. Maybe they want to do it alone because they're not feeling particularly social that day. That's all fine, right? And uh, other folks are going to like be at home, but they maybe they want a mixed reality like shelf to appear in their kitchen or inside their fridge, right? Like depending on the technology they're using, all that is possible. Other folks, as we said earlier, like physical stores are still going to be a thing, but you can use the technology to help them uh, if they want to be more efficient when they're shopping, find exactly what they want. Um, Other shoppers are going to want to explore, maybe learn something new. Uh, The idea of like having a chef talk you through using an ingredient in a new way, or even like I'll geek out on products sometimes where I want to know like, where did this coffee come from? Like, where was it grown? How was it sourced? How was it like, and you can drill down into that stuff and you can visit the facility where it was made. Why not? Right. Like all, all that stuff will be on the table. 
Um, you had asked about uh, using game engines, and I have said in more than one meeting it in context, like stuff is going to get weird quick in this space just because of like I know what the game industry is doing. Like anybody that even plays games, like there's some wild stuff going on. And so, you know, we're going to have to have conversations that are probably not typically had in spaces like this where it's like things like impossible physics, right? Like what if products moved around people instead of people moving around products or around spaces? Like what if I could fly? Like what if there's a Z-axis? Like you could do stuff like that, right? And and so we can have those conversations because we're working inside of game engines. When you move outside of the realm of digital twins, which are meant to you know, replicate a physical space, you're building a simulation at that point. It's more of like a custom gaming experience. And that's when, you know, the sky's kind of the the limit I think there'll be more interactivity. I think there'll be more opportunity for information sharing, information gathering. I think you'll have a more well-educated shopper um, if they have preferences. Because again, any object in VR, even AR and MR can be interactive. You can do whatever you want. And I also think as as our technology expands and as we like partner with other um, companies like Microsoft, we can start to launch into new kinds of hardware. So we have tablet and mobile builds going on for 3D and for augmented reality. Soon enough, we're going to all be like walking around with glasses on. So AR and MR glasses that will also be available. You know, they'll they'll afford us lots of new uh, luxuries and cool stuff we can do. Peter, do you think Lucas is having fun doing this? Just a little, Shri. Just a little. Just a little. Just a little. It, it is a lot of fun. But uh, one of the things I picked up in everything you said, Lucas, is what will be really cool through this immersive experience that you speak through from a virtual commerce perspective is when a consumer is buying a product this way, they can truly drill down into what's the composition of the product is and which farm it was sourced in or which clothing dye manufacturer that actually put the dye on it. Man, that is like crazy good. But uh, I'll wait to see that happen. Good thing we got you, Lucas, and not Peter and me orchestrating that because we don't have that background. So it'd be fun to see the outcomes of that. Let me remind our audience that we're speaking today with Melissa Jurgens and Lucas Blair from In Context Solutions. So, Lucas, now I want to listen to you speak. I'm inspired to take a deeper dive into the world of the metaverse. What's your definition, man, of the metaverse? And are you a metaverse anchored company? So, uh, I'll give you some of my requirements. I think everybody has their own definition of what constitutes a metaverse, but. I think things like persistence is important. Like these spaces have to exist. And then if you leave and come back, they're still there. If you leave something in AR in a store, maybe you come back later and it's still there because the device recognizes the space. So being able to like leave yourself notes or reminders or lots of interesting stuff. And so the spaces need to be persistent. Interoperability, that's big. So the idea of like, uh, being able to move from like virtual world or virtual space one to another and being able to like have some persistence with the digital objects, whether that's your avatar or things that you have with you, uh, because otherwise it's just walled gardens, right? Like you move from one thing to another and we do walled gardens reasonably well now, um, but you need interoperability, right? Uh, they should be multiplayer, in my opinion. I, and I think, uh, like I said earlier, like sometimes folks are going to do their thing and do it solo, and that's totally fine. But I think multiplayer and the social aspect of all of this is going to be huge, right? In the same way that it's big in in gaming. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think they should be immersive. I don't limit the immersive, the like what constitutes immersive to just being VR. I think we should include augmented reality and mixed reality in there. And and my expectation, I think a lot of people have the same expectation, is that 
you'll transition between those things because the devices will just let you transition from I'm in a fully immersive VR space to, oh, no, I want to drop into AR and just see some like things around here to get some information quickly. Otherwise, maybe it's a mixed reality thing and you want to be able to walk around something in your kitchen and actually physically move around it. It interacts with the space, but it's all going to come from the same hardware. And so like we make that distinction now because the hardware keeps it separate. Like we have a VR rig and you're having pass-through cameras and VR rigs aren't that great right now, but we're going to rapidly get to a point where like all those things are um, pretty good and, and the hardware, especially stuff that's coming out is going to be um, awesome. We also don't have great tech standards around some of this stuff, in particular like interoperability. So there's lots of work to do there and that's not necessarily the kind of work that in context does, but uh, you know, we're going to be right there uh, along with everybody else in the industry trying to, you know, make sure things work well and are inoperable. Um, and then, yes, to answer your question, we are a metaverse company. I, I think in part just because we need to meet users where they are. And um, people are using digital environments like this to do lots of everyday tasks, and that's going to include shopping. And so we have lots of expertise uh, in, in, you know, in, in the area. So we want to, with CPG, but also with uh, just the technology in general. So we have lots to say and lots to work on. And then I think I think of this stuff as like we're working in like kind of building blocks where we're building the component parts to these things. And so when we build things, we're adding stuff to our platforms, but we're doing it following a roadmap. And that roadmap is just going to get us a little bit closer to like our little part of the metaverse, right? Which is like shopping. But the metaverse is going to be used for lots of different things, right? But sometimes people are going to shop and they're going to have a customized experience. And that's that's our little corner of it. So, Melissa, based upon Lucas's detailed answer and confirming that you are a metaverse company, would love to know what your thoughts are, because there's a lot of hype around people saying, oh, this isn't going to last. Um, why don't you take on what some of those naysayers are spouting, and why don't you break that down a bit for us? I find whenever the topic of the metaverse comes up, people are really polarized, either they're believers and they see all the places that it's going to go, or they immediately put up a wall that it's just, you know, way too um, future hypothesis and, and know that, that it can't be real. And so if I'm thinking about um, kind of that latter group and, and where you just kind of like hit a wall in terms of talking about what could be, I think one of the first things that people trip up on is the hardware itself. The metaverse and being in the metaverse does not require you to be in a headset. I mean, certainly that's one of the ways that you can experience a headset, but if you don't like wearing a headset, you don't envision yourself wearing a headset, you don't have to. You can experience 3D on your PC, on your mobile device, it can be on a tablet. So there's a lot of different ways where you can immerse yourself in a digital space that doesn't require the full headset experience. I would say also it's, like I said, it's not all headsets and it's not all just gaming worlds. I sometimes like to, you know, brag a little bit that I think in context had one of the original B2B metaverse platforms. And Shopper MX is a place which is a 3D store. It's totally immersive. You can meet people in there to collaborate and communicate. You can work, you can make changes. And so that actually fits the definition of what the metaverse is. And we're not the only ones that have you know, thoughtful business applications in this space. Some might say even a virtual meeting like this could be you know, considered a metaverse. We're working together in a digital space. So 
partly it comes down to how you define it and how loosely or tightly your definition of metaverse needs to be. I would say that another kind of barrier that people throw up is this idea that the store is going away, right? Oh, I don't, I don't believe the metaverse is going to happen because that means that people are never going to leave their homes again and they're never going to, you know, touch foot into a store. Well, I, I also don't think that's what the metaverse means um, because it is about digital experiences and the blurring of the digital and physical. So the metaverse itself can enhance and improve what the online shopping experience can be in the future, but it can also improve with in-store experiences. So like Lucas was talking about with augmented reality that can enhance um, how you're able to find and explore and learn about products when you're in the store the same way you can when you're online. Um, so the, the broadest definition that I would use and one that I think is kind of easy for anyone to digest and see the benefit of is that the metaverse is really about immersive digital experiences. They enhance your ability to learn or share or socialize, to work or shop, to do anything, whether it's in a physical or digital space. And if you lean into that as the definition, there's just um, some really exciting opportunities ahead. No debate over there, Melissa. Lucas, I'm just excited now about the metaverse, so I can't let it go. I'm sorry. You talked about in context being a sort of a building block to the metaverse universe, if there was such a word. And virtual commerce is one such way to get you there. And then you also talked about everybody has a different definition. You have your definition. So what other building blocks should we be thinking about in your definition? Uh, so a few things. And part of the reason why I think about us as a, a building block, but then also we, we talk about like our technology roadmap and how each of the things on our roadmap is getting us a little bit closer to the reality that is, you know, whatever my definition or everybody's definition of the metaverse is, which I still think is we're we're not there yet, right? Like some of the things that I listed above, like we're not we're not there yet. We don't meet the definition yet. But um we're working on getting incrementally there, right? And so one thing to consider is that this is not just a shopper facing technology, right? Like it, that's a big part of it, but it's going to change the experience of retailers and distributors and brands and, and lots of other uh, folks that you all probably could list that I'm not aware of, of in the entire pipeline is because it's complicated. Like that's something that I'm learning about uh, as I'm, you know, in the industry more is that like, there's a lot of moving pieces to this, right? Like it's just a shopper. I'm like, well, you show up and there's things on the shelves, right? But there's lots of moving pieces there, right? And we can build tools to make everybody's jobs easier across the board, right? And we have several tools that we're working on now that are going to be for uh, folks that are in the field, folks that are doing sales, folks that are in meetings, right? Things like that that are not shopper-facing but are uh, for, for folks that are out in the field is also an additional data stream that we can use too because we're like everybody else going to be trying to like gather and leverage as much data as possible um, as we build those things. And I mentioned earlier about building the infrastructure to support all of the connected systems. So that's another opportunity for us as we build things that are shopper facing or that, you know, non-shoppers are using, we can connect those systems to make them all perform better, right? So a shopper facing AR app where somebody um, is walking around and they're getting information about products and they're, they're exploring things, you could use some of that to also inform another app um, or another uh, piece of software that somebody's using about uh, stock changes, or even like how well shelves are organized in the moment, and if something is is wrong or something's going weird, right? You could uh, have messages between uh, people working in sales, or even customers, even shoppers, right? That are 
persistent and they stay in those spaces and it can happen across spaces. So you can have somebody in a digital twin leave a message about something and say that this thing maybe is weird or we should keep an eye on this. And then somebody's in an actual physical store in AR and they may see that same message there because the systems recognize that those are uh, uh, the same space, right? They're just being uh, consumed with different pieces of hardware and one is digital and one is physical, right? But so you can have that persistence across those pieces of software. And then in addition to doing the research that we do now, um, we're working towards, again, leveraging a lot of that data, like more automated insights. And so it can inform uh, decision-making. And it's also just another information, another like data stream to basically make the dynamic environments more responsive in real time. So, right, you could see product and shelf and lots of changes like happen in real time in the moment because all these things are connected. So, yeah, so those are some of the other building blocks that we're working on. So, Melissa, let's bring this all back to In Context Solutions origins. You know, your bread and butter business had been focused around shopper insights and visualizing retail stores. How do you see that really tying into what you're doing with virtual commerce at its core? So virtual commerce is in its infancy. It's a baby and there is tons of green space in terms of things that we need to learn. And so the first thing we're doing is just leaning into our research pedigree to do R&D and to learn about what shoppers are going to love about the 3D commerce experience. So that's that's kind of the, the first step. Um, if you were to ask our team internally, I think they would agree that at this point, We've done enough research on the, the types of experiences and the types of stores and how people respond to in-store shopping user experience. We're probably the leading experts on what good looks like in a virtual store. And we want to offer that guidance not only to the offering that we're developing, but also to our clients who are just interested in exploring this space. Uh, once people are launching 3D and virtual commerce stores, then there's going to be an opportunity to do the research like we do in the physical store. We test alternatives and new activations. Well, we'll be doing the same thing in the digital space, A-B testing to make sure we get to the best possible idea and launch that best possible idea. And then the other piece of it is, as you mentioned, you know, virtual stores is part of our origin story. And it's those virtual stores that give us kind of the foundation to make those shoppable to people and to shoppers. And so it's just leaning into everything that we have and taking that technology to the next level, to the to the next step. And we're really, really excited to see where it goes. How cool, Peter. This is part of a world you and I have started talking more and more about, right? The metaverse. And then we're moving all the way from 3D tech all the way to virtual commerce. And virtual commerce is the last 10 episodes or so. We've been discussing many virtual commerce opportunities across the board, right? I love that your bread and butter historically was shopper insights and visualizing retail stores and bringing it to life, but you're taking this to the next level by making it an immersive experience in this new metaverse. How cool is that? Lucas, I love that this is your forte domain. You come with the background. And when you started answering some of these questions, I could just tell in your voice and demeanor, you're the right person to do this for in context too, which makes it a deadly weapon. Peter, your thoughts? Yeah, a couple things, Shri, jumped out at me, uh, and they were the same as you. First of all, virtual commerce. It's been on the horizon. The time is now. Seems like they're they're jumping on this at exactly the right time. What you said around bringing immersive 3D to a two-dimensional website, 
the capability to do that is here and now. What I loved is what Melissa said about what makes it great is it's simple, it's scalable, and it's seamless. If you can do those three things, it will drive incredible adoptions. And then lastly, I'll make mention of the fact that leveraging other things that are happening in adjacent industries, uh, the power of gaming engines and all the new hardware that's supporting the gaming industry is bringing all of these capabilities to life. So that's ultimately gets back to what Melissa said was the metaverse is really about immersive digital experiences. Just fascinating. Fascinating. You know, Melissa, one of the things we didn't cover today, but hopefully we will in a different episode with you, is all the existing immersive 3D experiences you do for the in-store model. Again, I'm a strong believer that traffic's coming back. There's going to be a lot of need for that, so we'll get to that at some point. But, you know, I want to leave our users with a call to action directly from you, Melissa. And And my question for you on the call to action is, what sort of brands are the specific categories who should be getting in touch with in-context solutions? And is it, a, is it a brand VP? What's the profile of the people that you'll work with today? Thanks for the question, Tree. Well, we work with brands and retailers alike. I would say anything that you would find on a shelf in your typical grocery or mass or convenience store would be the type of category that we're set up to support really, really well. And in terms of the groups that we would work with, we would typically work with, of course, insights, uh, category management, sales, store operations, and we're hoping to work more and more with the e-commerce teams. My guess is, Melissa, the number one team for the virtual commerce piece of this is actually the e-commerce teams. And then the tech piece of that, which will use typically be the IT departments at large brands and retailers. And on the retail side, it's the VP of digital and things of that nature. Did I get that right? I think you did. And we're still learning because this is some new new area or new people for us. So um, hope to meet a lot of new people as they start to hear and learn about this. Awesome. So um, let me remind our audience that you can find all of our content by going to a browser and typing cpgguys.com where you can find all of our content. And if you think you or your company has some thought leadership, to contribute to our community discussion, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com. Maybe you can join us on the podcast. Don't forget to drop us a rating at cpgguys.com on our brand new website on the navigation bar all the way at the top. Thank you, folks, for this engaged 13.5K plus followers heading to 14K. Melissa and Lucas, thank you for joining us on the podcast and hitting one of Peter and Sri's favorite topics the metaverse. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, all of In Context Solutions details can be found on the digital liner notes of this podcast. Don't forget, Peter, fun episode, man. Always a pleasure to do this week or week with you. Awesome, Shri. Love it. Great, great episode, Shri. Folks, that's a wrap for this episode. See you soon on another episode of the CPG Guys. Thank you. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. 
The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPT Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPT Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.